0: When you think about us as a church, and and not just broadly speaking, but truly us as a church, First Baptist Church, Pflugerville, us as a church family, if you are to ask the question biblically, what should be the one word to describe us? And you could go through, and we might get down to a couple, but ultimately, I suspect we would we would get down to one of two words. Uh, we're going to have some who would say the word that should describe us is holy. We're going to have some who would say the word that should describe us is love. Both of which are correct, both of which, interestingly enough, uh, in the way that those words relate to God, there's, it's, there's a reason we would come down to those two words. Now, Christ is clear in John chapter 13 where he says to the disciples, How will the world know your mind? Anybody know? Trivia question? The world will know your mind by the way in which you love each other, hence why we have the song, Uh, they will know we are Christians by what? By our love, by our love, but there is in present church world, and, and, and I'm, Uh, As familiar with this as anyone having come from working with college students, there are many who are young especially. It's not limited to the young, but there are many who are younger whose criticism of the church is that the church is not more loving and so all of a sudden, the idea of what does it mean as a church to love has seemingly come into question with those who would say uh, love is is hard, it's harsh, it's, it's going to call things out and just call it like it is with those who would then take love and he'd go to the other far extreme and say that what love is and love amongst the body really at its core, they, they may not phrase it this way, but what they're describing is that we just, You know, we just all get along and we don't say anything that would disrupt anything and we just approve of everything. So it draws this really large question for us. What does it mean? If we're to be defined as a church by our love, what does that love look like? And that's going to be where our text takes us this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be back in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up back in verse 8 where we stopped last week. Now just as a reminder, walking through Philippians, here is this church that Paul very briefly, he got about a, a week and a half, three weeks interaction with them. God brought some people to faith in Christ. A church started. Paul has maintained contact with them. He's sitting under house arrest in, in a a in a rundown Roman apartment chained to a a Roman soldier awaiting trial. The church in Philippi has taken care of him. They have prayed for him. They have encouraged him. They have partnered with him. And he writes them this letter. And he's already said at the beginning, who are they? They're saints, they're servants, they're children of God. Why are they that? Because God's grace has brought peace. And he writes last week and he calls them and he mentions this in verse 8. For for God is my witness how I long for you with the affection of Christ. How I I long, how I earn, how I yearn to be with you with the very passion of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' love, his affection, his passion in my heart for you. When we looked at it, we said, how do we arrive at that place where that is the affection amongst us? And and it's clear that there is is a fellowship, a partaking, when you and I set our eyes on Christ and we partake in the gospel ministry. Not when we amen the gospel. It's great to amen it, but we got to amen it not just with our words, but with our lives. When we partake in the gospel ministry... Because we are confident of and surrendered to the fact that the work God has started in me and in you individually and in us as a congregation, as a church family, that that work he will finish, period, no question. It's not a matter of if he will finish it, it's just when he finishes it. As he finishes it, as he works in our lives and through our lives, as we yield to his work and as we partake in the gospel ministry, this affection grows up. And it's out of this affection that Paul said at the very beginning, what did he say in verse 3? I thank my God in my remembrance of you, offering prayer with joy. And here we see what he is actually praying with joy. So look at verse 9. And this I pray, this is what I pray, that your love may abound, may overflow, may be so rich and beyond, still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may test and approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Here's what he says, church family. He says, and this I pray. This, or or literally in a present tense verb, this I am continually and perpetually, actively praying. It's not a prayer I, I pray once for you. This is what I pray. All those times I remember you with joy, this is what I am praying. So let me just give you the worst sermon spoiler alert of all time. The primary way for us to apply this passage today is what we're about to impact that we actively, continually, passionately pray for one another. It means I need you to pray this prayer for me as your pastor. It means we as your ministry staff, we need you to pray this prayer for us as leaders in the church. It means we as a church family, we need to be praying this prayer over one another. It means me as your pastor, I need to be praying this for you. We must be praying what is here, not once, not twice, but perpetually we should be praying this with joy. Because what Paul prays, he is confident of, because what Paul prays is he prays for God to do something in their midst, something that God will absolutely do. So what does he pray? He says, This I pray that your love, that your agape. Now, probably for the rest of the sermon, you will hear me use the word agape instead of love. And here's why. Because in English, we have one word, love. And we say, I love my wife, and I love baseball, and I love tea, and I love, right? Like, we use one word, yet what I would describe, or at least what I hope would be true of my love for my wife, is very different than my love of baseball, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, In Greek, there are multiple words for love that all reference different aspects of love. They're very precise. And the word here is agape. It's the word we would usually just simply say, this is the unconditional love of God. But but I want to be clear, what do we mean by the unconditional love of God? What we mean is that agape love Agape love is a love that is not conditioned in any way upon what the person who is loved can offer. This love is not conditioned upon what the the object of love, the beloved, not what the beloved can offer, not what the beloved can do, but, but it's conditioned upon the value that the lover in his or her sheer goodness place upon object of their love. Now, obviously with God, here's what that means. It means that God's agape love to you and I, why is it unconditional? Because his love is not simply an emotion that is delighted by something we do, some kind of condition of way we act, but his love is unconditional because in his sheer perfect goodness, when he made you and he made me image bearers of himself, when he made us He, out of his goodness, put a value on you and I, and that value that he placed on you and I because of who he is, which means that the condition for this love is based on his unchanging goodness. So it is unconditional, because it'll never change. It's not about how valuable you and I appear or seem to be or what we can do. It is about the way that he values us, which is why we see him say about his own love, in this is love. In this, the love of God, the agape of God is made clear to you and I. Not that we loved him, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice on you and I's behalf. This is agape love. And Paul's prayer is that agape love may abound more and more. And the way he phrases that there is not to say that church in Philippi, you don't have any agape love for each other. No, the language is you are agape loving each other. And my prayer is that that would only continue to grow and overflow more and more and more and more. You are doing well, but you have so much more to grow. So I pray that your agape would, would abound, that it would be overflowing, that, that your agape, and then and who is the agape for there? That your agape, that your, your love of Jesus, that your love of God would overflow more and more. That out of your love for God, the first and greatest commandment, that you would love your neighbor. that your love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ would overflow, would, would abound more and more and still more and more that it would be plentiful in its abundance. So church family, as we pause for a moment and we think about when you say I love God or when you say I love my church family when we say we love each other, I would say one church family, as far as Bethany and I are concerned, we have been blown away by the manner in which you have already shown your love for us as new members of your church family. In fact, even as I, we were praying through, and I would have various people around the state reach out, say some things. You, we, as a church family, have a reputation in this state of being a loving, generous, kind church family. There is agape in our midst, but church family understand we have so much more to grow. We have so much more to grow in the agape of God in our midst. We have so much more to grow because God is not finished. Jesus has not returned. His work is not done here. There's more and more and more room for our agape to grow. So I ask this question. Even though it is clear there is a love for the Lord and love for each other, are there any ways in our lives in which our love for God or love for each other are actually conditional? Conditional. Are there any ways in which when we say I love God or I love others, is there any ways in which if I really dig down and what does that mean, do I all of a sudden discover that there is a condition there? Is my love for God only really there when I have a strong sense of emotion for him? But when I walk through a dry season or, or, or a, a hard period of life, that love and affection for God decreases, Does my love for the people of God, is it, is it great, is it strong when, when I'm really lonely and I really want some, some godly fellowship if you're over 40, godly community if you're under 40? Pick your buzzword. Or is it there even when I feel alone, even when I feel like God is pouring and pouring out in my life for others, but, but yet I will love Is my love conditional in terms of if our obedience is driven by love? When God lays a commandment in front of us, do we do we obey that command out of love, or are there commands we like to go? Mm, I love I love God, but I'm not about that command. Just give you a side note. It's a command in Hebrews to be regularly gathered as a church family. Yet the average Southern Baptist church member today attends church. This is the average church member, emphasis member, not attender, member. The average Southern Baptist church member attends less than twice a month. Whether that be for sports or vacation or camping or hiking or whatever you want to come up with, when it comes to giving a tithe faithfully, when it comes to encouraging each other faithfully, are there conditions and circumstances where all of a sudden our love for Christ, we say we love Jesus, but when it comes to obeying that command, whether it is one we deem big or one we deem small, if we really love Christ, if our agape abounds, it means we love him unconditionally. It means we love each other means we love each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes agape love fleshed out amongst us. What does it say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love does not seek after its own interests. Love does not rejoice in the face of evil. Love hopes all things. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Think about the way we love each other. Do we really love each other unconditionally, even when loving that person that you find maybe is awkward to you or stressful to you demands that you allow the Holy Spirit to demonstrate patience through you? Do we really love each other where our default disposition towards each other is to assume the very best about one another? and not hear one thing that may or may not actually matter, but it, for whatever reason, makes us angry a certain way, and we automatically jump to the worst possible conclusion about each other? Does love, when we see evil played out, whether it's in our midst or whether it's in the world, does love have a broken heart over that evil, regardless of which side of the aisle the media is spinning it? You see, if our love is going to abound more and more and more, our love, our agape must be unconditional. It must be unconditional. There cannot be, we cannot say we love each other, yet there be people that we avoid because, mm, no. We cannot say we love each other. We cannot say we love God, yet we go, God, I love this part of you, but this other part, we're going to just ignore that day in and day out. Is what we call love, really agape love, Paul's prayers, that the love of that love, the agape would abound more and more and more. But it's not just abound more and more. Look at look at the constraints. It's not just an abounding love, it's a constrained love. Look at what he says and this, I pray that your love may abound more and more. In real knowledge, in all discernment, in real knowledge. That word there, that word means in a real, true, personal, relational, intimate knowledge of God. That's what that word means. It's real, it's actual, it's not fake, it's not imaginary. It's true, it's actually knowledge that comes from a real personal relationship. It's intimate I want your love to abound inside of the knowledge of God. And there's a two-way street. I want your love to grow. I want your love to grow. And as your love grows, as your agape grows, so does it impact your knowledge of God. If you want to grow in your personal intimate relationship and knowledge of God, then our love must abound. But it's also the other way. The only way our love will abound is if it is constrained by the knowledge of God. And not just the knowledge of God. If that's one side of the bank, then the other side of the bank is discernment, referring to to the ability to, to discern correctly what is right, what is wrong, what to say, what to do in a given context and situation. And when those two things constrain love, here's what it means for love. If there could be a danger in our day to say, well, we just need to be loving. And by loving, we don't mean we need to speak the truth in love with kindness. We mean we just need to accept everything. The same danger was there in Paul's day. Yet, if my love is constrained, if, if my abounding, overflowing love is constrained and in the knowledge of God and in right discernment, then it means our love will do two things. It means our love will lead us into a deeper relationship with Christ. And if our love is leading us into a deeper relationship with Christ, by default, we're going to become more discerning, filled with the wisdom of God, being able to know the will of God right and wrong, which means that our love can never say sin is okay. It cannot it means in our love abounding we cannot just say oh that sin we'll just we'll just overlook that we'll just excuse that we'll just won't speak to it and address it we just won't that is not love it is self-centered fear-filled cowardice that was cares more about everybody getting along than it does about Agape, because I failed to mention this earlier, the agape, that that agape love of God, which is driven out of his sheer goodness to place a value on the object of his love and and, and based on no condition of, of of the recipient of his love, he loves out of his goodness. That love out of his goodness is for his goodness which means that if we agape each other, our love, what does our love mean for each other? It means if I really agape you, then I want as the chief desire in my love for you, the very best good of God, which is the polar opposite of sin. So if our love is to abound more and more, it cannot abound in any way where we are okay to excuse or even delight in that which is sinful. And understand, when I say sinful there, that means both the sins of the liberal and conservative variety. We don't get to just pick which sins we think are the worst. It means all forms of sexual morality, anything outside of one man, one woman, created by God biologically in marriage, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, it also means gluttony and gossip. It means lustful thoughts in the heart. It means hateful thoughts toward someone else in the heart. If our love is bound by the knowledge of Christ and discernment, then there is a direction. Then our love is a river, not a flood. Our our love is not just some wide covering of stagnant water which brings nothing, but there are constraints and bounds to our overflowing love that drive our love to an end goal, that end goal being the knowledge of God and discernment of not just how to know Him, but how to live and walk with Him in a world that presents all sorts of challenges, which means our constrained love. It's not just constrained love. If our love abounds, it's not only constrained by the knowledge of God and discernment of right and wrong, but look look where it goes Says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that for the purpose that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may approve this word, approve. It was actually a word used for this, the, the, uh, conferring the degree of medicine upon a doctor. It means that you have the ability to, to test. That was the other picture for it is, is it's like taking an impure metal and superheating it in a furnace and, and taking that metal out and beating on that metal to test it, to purify it. You have the ability to approve as our love abounds both growing our knowledge of God and constrained by our knowledge of God. As our love abounds, which is gonna grow our ability to discern right and wrong in the will of God, and so our understanding and discernment of right and wrong in the will of God constrains our love. As that happens, what it enables you and I to do is to look out and not just look for good and bad, but even look at that which is, what does it say? To approve that which is excellent, superior, vital. To even see the difference between something which may be acceptable and good, Good, but it is not God's best. How do we come to that level of razor-sharp discernment? By our love abounding. By our love abounding. See, if, if our love abounds it must, in our life, it must lead to a greater understanding of God's holiness lived out in the world. And God's holiness lived out in the world is our ability to look at something and to test it to discern it to examine it thoroughly to come to a right conclusion and determine what is excellent vital see oftentimes we 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 have sometimes made loving god sound like well loving god just means i seek to avoid sin Listen, you and I should seek to avoid sin because we love Jesus. But loving Jesus, following Jesus is ultimately about actually loving him. It's not just trying to avoid bad things. It's about loving him, which means as you and I grow in maturity, as the, as the love of God, the agape of God abounds among us what is going to happen in our lives is as it is constrained and growing our knowledge and discernment we we are going to discover that there are things that maybe even scripture seems silent on that we could do that we will choose not to do for no other reason than it is not excellent and we only love God and that which he declares is excellent I, I remember as, as a young man, there were, I actually have in my notes here, I have the actual movie, but it applies to multiple things. I remember as a young man, there, there was a, a, a comedy movie that I watched and thought was hilarious. And then I didn't watch it for several years. And in, that, in, in, that, in, in, in between time, God was growing and abounding my love for him my, and in that my knowledge for him and discernment of right versus wrong. And when I came back and watched it, couldn't make it through 20 minutes of it and haven't ever watched it since. For me, there are certain convictions in my life that don't come down to whether or not Scripture says, well, can you you have just a little bit? As long as you don't go too far, there are certain things in my life that I have come to But I just cannot do for no other reason than as I have come to know Jesus deeply, I can no longer engage in that and look him in the eyes and say, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord willing, there will be more of those things in my life, the more and more and more that God causes his love to abound so that I may approve that which is excellent, so that you and I may approve that which is excellent. And church family, if the the world's gonna know us by our love for one another, by our love for Christ, then you and I are living in a day and age where we are in desperate need of the kind of wisdom and discernment that can know and approve that which is excellent, that can know and look at and approve that which is clearly wrong and in violation of God and that which is right. And not just that which is right, but again, as I mentioned, it says excellent. It's not just what's right and wrong. It is what is excellent versus just good. You say it may be good. Just make something up here on the spot. It may be good to go to college and get the typical business degree as a fallback. There's nothing bad with that. There's nothing inherently sinful with that. There's nothing inherently sinful about encouraging your child to go for that. But God's best for your life or your child's life may be a whole different path. And if only the only categories we think in are clearly wrong, clearly right, we also miss that there are some things that are okay. There are some things that are not a matter of morality, right or wrong, but it is a difference of what is good and that which is excellent in the eyes of God. And the way that you and I will walk and find that is as God's love abounds in our heart. And here's the effect of that. As you and I discern, as we're able, as our knowledge grows, discernment grows, as we're able to test and approve that which is good and excellent, look what the end result is. In order to be sincere, that is pure, without hidden motives, without pretense, and blameless, that word blameless there meaning that we do not, we're not um, becoming a stumbling block for someone else that we may be sincere and blameless until the return of Christ. And in that sincerity and blamelessness, standing before Jesus, giving account for our life, that we would be filled, filled up to the brim with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, when our love, when God causes our love to abound, both pouring into and constrained by the knowledge, real, true relationship with Him, discernment, right versus wrong, which leads to the ability of us to test everything and to approve, to, 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 to come to the conclusion of that which is excellent. What it produces in us is a purity, a, a, a sincerity. It removes, true agape removes all. All hidden motives. It means my love for you cannot have a secret motive behind it. Our love for each other should not have hidden motives and agendas behind it of, well, I really like this person. Let me put it this way. It means my love for you should not ever matter on the size of your tithe check, on how many hours you put volunteering on what you can do for me, what business do you run, how can we do? And I watch often in church life where it seems like we have a tendency to show special attention and, and added things to people who can do stuff. If agape abounds in our hearts, then there are no hidden motives. We are sincere. We say what we mean, we mean what we say. Who you see on the outside is who we are in the inside, who you see in public is who you'll find in private. Not only that, but blameless. It means as love abounds, we will not become stumbling blocks. And understand, as love abounds, certainly we do not excuse sin, but we also speak kindly the word of God to a sinful world. And we don't go the other direction of being so awful and nasty in how we speak the truth of God to a sinful world that we create a whole other stumbling block of our own Brazenness. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. You see, as it creates this sincerity and blamelessness, here's what happens. The fruit of righteousness, you notice it says through Jesus. The fruit of righteousness, make you think of the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The way that that is phrased, fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ, the way that is phrased means this, church family, you and I cannot make ourselves have that fruit. If it's fruit of the Spirit, it's fruit that comes from the Spirit. If it's the fruit of righteousness, which is through Jesus, it means Jesus is the one who has to produce that fruit inside of us. You can't make yourself more patient, more loving, more kind, more gentle. It's the work of God in our lives. So if it's the work of God in our lives, if this fruit of righteousness as we stand before the Lord, how does this take place? The answer's already there in the text. Why is the primary, why why is the thing we're to do to pray this? Because this is what God wants to do in our midst, to cause, to grow, to, to make our love abound. It is a work that he will absolutely accomplish. What is our part? our part is actually believe what he says and in believing what he says believing the gospel we go partake in the gospel and live it out and if you and i will with simple hearts believe what he says and live it out which means we look to him confident of who lives within us and we live it out and part of living it out means we pray this prayer for each other what will happen god will cause our love to abound and all knowledge and spiritual discernment, that we may be able to know and approve and test that which is excellent so that we may be sincere and blameless before Jesus Christ, appearing before Jesus on that day, not lacking the fruit that God desires to work out in our life, but overflowing, filled with the fruit of righteousness. To what? The glory and praise of Jesus Christ. Church family, what, what is ultimately at stake in the need for our agape to abound? It's the glory of God. Church family, it is not about us. If it's about us, then it's not agape love with which we love each other. Agape is all about Christ. And if you and I want to grow in the fruit of spirit and to lead lives that glorify God, that one day when we stand before Jesus, he looks and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, then you and I better be on our knees praying this prayer in fervent urgency. But praying it with joy because this is what God wants to do in our midst and what he will do if you and I will yield and surrender, if we will not just say the gospel, but we will truly believe the gospel, partake in the gospel. Going back to what we saw in the text last week, if we will keep our eyes on Christ, not in a casual way of excusing things, but if we will keep our eyes locked on Christ, believing what he says, surrendering to what he calls, God will hear our prayer. And he will make our love abound still yet more and more and more and more. And as he does that, the city of Pflugerville, Manor, Hutto, Austin, Round Rock, they will know we are Christians by our love to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, too often today, what we call love gets hijacked. God, it gets hijacked by really what is a warped form of, of self-centeredness. It gets hijacked by, hey, we just want everybody to feel positive. Lord, sometimes we miss in love. We say we love because we are repeating that which is true, but we're, we're repeating it, stating it. We're We're... we're, we're Quoting the right thing, but with a spiteful heart, instead of with a heart overflowing, abounding with agape. God, perhaps today as we've walked through this text, Lord, there's ways in which we recognize our love for you really isn't agape. It's really conditional upon what we feel from you or what we see you doing or not doing. Perhaps we recognize that while there may be many in this this place that we do love agape, there may be some that we don't love agape. Well, perhaps if that's us, then we need to repent and confess that before you. God, perhaps there are some in this room who go, I have never known what it is like to be loved unconditionally, Lord, because they don't know you. God, what a joy to know that I am not loved by you because of anything I can offer you or do, but solely because you fearfully and wonderfully knitted me in your image. And and, and because of your sheer goodness, you loved me enough to send your son to become my sin, to be the sacrifice, to take the punishment I deserve to rise from the grave to convict my spirit of sin to call me to salvation Lord all of that is because of who you are And so if there are any in this place today that do not know you they do not know what it's like to be loved by you therefore they cannot have love abounding in their hearts then may today be their day to be saved by you Holy Spirit may we respond to you as you move It's in your name I pray, Jesus.